0: Just love people, be present, be real, be authentic. Those are the things that keep it real, keep us human, keep us in a shared experience. And they just, they evolve naturally. There was no trying and, you know, how to put these tools in place. Just be you, just be human.
1: Welcome to Finding the Helpers, presented by Playing to Live. I'm Kristen Ramsey, and I'm Alexis DiCosimo. What you're about to hear are the voices and stories of those on the front line of the COVID-19 pandemic. What they are seeing, what they are feeling as individuals, and how they are coping. That, in combination with some immediate self-care and grounding interventions from the Playing to Live clinical team. Some of what is shared may be hard to hear, so please make sure
2: to take care of yourself. Just a note about today's podcast, there are unedited curse words. Please take note if you're listening to this out loud. Hi everyone, it's Alexis and Kristen. The time has come to share that this week's episode is our final episode of season one of Finding the Helpers. It has been an incredible journey for both of us. We truly have been so honored to get to share these profound stories and we hope it has been as impactful for you to listen to as it has been for us to create it.
1: I will definitely be going through some Alexis, which are all over the next few months, but that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, at some point in this adventure, we had the pleasure of interviewing a woman by the name of Mary Affie, who is going to help us bring this whole season together.
0: My name is Mary. Afi, I'm a licensed clinical social worker um, living in North Carolina, originally from New York um, in a graduate program, doctoral student, just about done. Six more Congratulations. weeks. Uh, super excited about that. Um, I specialize in play therapy and trauma. I have a private practice. We probably have close to 500 active patients. So we're pretty big. We have three locations, three counties. Um, and we've been in business a little over two years.
2: We originally contacted Mary because, as you will learn, she left her bustling practice in North Carolina to return to her original home of New York City for four weeks to be a therapeutic presence for frontline medical staff in the hospitals as they faced the height of New York's peak.
1: Mary was set up in the same place every day, showing up as consistent, predictable support equipped with the ability to administer psychological first aid and or crisis interventions for hospital staff. Like many frontline staff, Mary stressed a few times in our interview that she is not a hero. Mary's daughter was diagnosed with cancer at 16 years old, and Mary truly saw this deployment to New York
2: as her time to pay it back to the medical staff who saved her daughter's life. As we listened back through Mary's interview, it was clear to us with her clinical background, her personal experiences, and the four weeks she spent in the hospitals in New York that Mary was not only going to help us share another powerful story, but that she tied together so many of the profound lessons we've learned through these interviews in the past five months.
1: One of the first things we learned in this project in interviewing Morgan Sykes, the bike courier in New York City, was the depth of who is really on the front line of this pandemic. This is not to invalidate the fact that there are absolutely levels of how much various roles have been asked to sacrifice during this time, But rather to shed light on the roles that are often forgotten, to bring an appreciation to the immense effort it has taken so many on a daily basis to keep us as safe as we can be while facing this virus.
0: The stories will take your breath away. Um, And there were times I did absolutely have to, you know, do the psychological first aid. Um, And, you know, I think there's not enough recognition or. Acknowledgement rather towards housekeeping. Um, there is a story, and I don't know if you guys want me to share that or. Please do, yeah. Yeah, and I just, you know, I could tend to be a squirrel, so um, <laughs> keep me on task. Okay, my dog's okay. name
2: is Squirrel, so we're good.
0: <laughs> so, you know, people think first responders, they think people right there, you know, the staff, the medical staff, yes. I think often we overlook the housekeeping. I mean, they are right there in there cleaning up. Um, but there was a particular housekeeper. And again, my station was always the same spot, same time. So the predictability, the familiarity, it was just the same thing. Um, and many times we had wonderful art activities, which I absolutely loved. We had rock painting. We had, um, almost like large coloring book type posters. I mean, it was just awesome. Um, messages of hope. Um, but there was this one housekeeper every time she was on her shift, she would stop by. She really didn't have many words. Um, older woman, probably, I don't know, late sixties, but she was a housekeeper and she used to visit every day and never really had much to say. Um, but she must've caught wind that my shift or my contract was coming to an end within a couple of days. And she came to me and she said, may I have this rock? At the table, so they were already painted. And you know, here's a, a moment of like a therapy moment where you could have just probably approached it different. I'm like, well, you could paint your own rock. You know, I was excited for her, and she stood there very stoic. And I, she said, "I want this rock." So I said, "Okay." And then she looked at me and she said, "Today is your last day." I said, "No, I have two more days." Um, she said, "Well, I want this rock." So I said, "Well, then you can have the rock." <laughs> She goes, I want something to always remember you by. So it took my breath away, right? I mean, um, you never know what a smile or connection does for somebody or predictability. Um, yeah, it was a shared moment. I don't think there, I don't know, it was just um, pretty amazing. How do you have words to describe that, right? But that was a pretty profound moment.
2: When Mary says, you never know how a connection is going to affect someone, she's talking about exactly what Laura Fuchs, the photographer in New York City, taught us when she described teaching people through her Mask Smiles project that you can, in fact, smile at someone through a mask. How small acts, such as showing up in the same place every day to show support, or simply smiling at a stranger, can plant a seed in someone which has the potential to grow beyond what we could ever imagine.
1: Laura also reminded us that we never really know the complete ripple effect of how reaching out for connection will land on someone, which makes taking that chance of reaching out, especially right now, absolutely worth it.
2: Mary's Rock Story stresses that showing up and being constant and predictable in a time of uncertainty can have a profound effect. This theme of repetitive rituals and predictability came up with Sherry Binsamone, the funeral director we interviewed when she spoke about the funeral business being stripped of so many of their procedures during the lockdowns. Here's what Mary had to say about why connection and consistency are so important right now. It's just being human and not approaching
0: things with fear. I think so all too often we just were, you know, just neurobiologically designed to be scared of experiences, but, you know, going in there and just being human and connecting to people. And finding the gratitude every day, there's something to be thankful for.
1: Mary is right. We are wired for protection, to protect those we love, to protect ourselves. It is primal, and it is why fear shows up at a time like this. Fear, while valid, is also divisive and can make us separate even further than necessary.
2: We loved how while talking about fear, she also brought up gratitude. We spoke about finding comfort and gratitude with both Felicia Temple, the COVID ICU nurse from New Jersey, and Ruben Medihans, the flight attendant and COVID-19 survivor. Gratitude can be a huge shield against fear and is a very strong way to find grace and moments of relief during overwhelming times.
1: Speaking of overwhelm, despite her background in trauma-informed hair, Mary led us into a very human part of herself, and reminded us that no one is immune to the
0: trauma and heaviness that are happening right now. When the content got too heavy, staying busy and working is my coping skill. Um, it's a healthy way of disconnecting. So staying busy, taking on a third shift, um, it kept me very busy. But that'll only carry you so far, right? And at some point, you're going to spill or break. Yeah. Um And I had my moments, there were probably three days that I just, I was numb. And I'm grateful that I have the kind of skills set to acknowledge that. And I could see where it was getting damaging my thought process, um, just feeling very numb. It was bizarre. Um, So how did I challenge that? I um, tried to indulge in the food that makes us feel good and not- New York is good for that. (laughs) bacon ink cheese on a roll. Um, I forced myself to go running in 30 degree sleet. Um, because I know running is super, it's my norm, right? When things get tough, it's just, you know, there's a lot to be said about running in a lot of reasons, but there's just something about watching the sunrise. And there were times that didn't even do it. So you go out and run again, but just walk through the sensory kind of overload. What's, what, what's overloading me? Is it the stories? Is it the sounds? Is it the smells? And just walking through the sensory and acknowledging all this implicit and explicit kind of sensory overload. Um, so I feel fortunate in that matter, but you know, there were three days that it was literally like being a robot being numb. It was weird, scary,
2: This idea that if we aren't taking care of ourselves in some way, we will eventually break is one we can't stress enough as we wrap the season up. Both Mary and Alex Kaiser, the oncology PA we interviewed, stressed using small little things to combat this. It doesn't have to be some elaborate, major planned out moment for you to take care of yourself. Mary mentioned comforting food, exercise, and Alex had a small list of tasks she did every day. She added color to her apartment and she took up collaging.
1: These little things are one of our best defenses against big challenges right now. I'm sure many of us can relate when Mary talks about having days of feeling numb at some point over the last several months. Whether it be because you're on the front line, you were home with children 24 7, as I was, (laughs) you lost your job or your job drastically changed, or you were, as Mary said, on sensory overload from all the news, ever-changing guidelines, and conflicting reports. It will catch up to us. That is one of the main reasons we started this podcast, not even to unpack and process the stories Mary mentioned earlier, which took her breath away, but to put some breath back in through a small self-care moment so that you can keep going.
2: She also brought up two additional incredibly important points, which we haven't really covered yet. It's okay if your first attempt at self-care activity really feels futile. Sometimes in the face of such trauma or overwhelm, that will be the case. The hope is, as Mary did, that you then try something again the next day and even the next, and eventually you will start to figure out which self-care activities do feel like they make a dent in what you are carrying.
1: The second point she makes can be really helpful if you find yourself in this position that Alexis is talking about where your attempts at self-care don't seem to be doing anything. Mary talks about trying to wade through the sensory overload causing the anxiety to figure out which part of the incredibly large amounts of information you are trying to process are causing you the most stress. And then trying to use your self-care as a way to specifically let go of whatever that most overwhelming piece is, even if just for
2: a moment. Mary shared the struggle even with her extensive knowledge of mental health, trauma, and self-care because as she reminded us multiple times in her interview, we are all human and this is a shared experience. Here's what she had to say about what she would tell people who are struggling who don't have the background in psychology that she does.
0: That's a great question and I had countless nurses that came to me and it's just You may have already experienced this with traumatic exchanges with people. There is, and I will take this with me forever. um, They all had, the ones that really required the psychological first aid had the same look in their eye where they were on the brink of, could this be dissociation? Is it the flight response and the fight response clicking in, you know, or it, it was you could see it and even with the covering there was enough to know something's not right here um but acknowledging it and 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 connecting with it recognizing it's okay and the words to hopefully bring in the cognitive narrative that this is not normal give a shared experience to validate that that there is nothing normal about this nothing acknowledging that this this isn't normal and it's okay to not be okay um, and how to you know facilitate the appropriate resources. And that's some of the stuff I said to myself, this is not normal.
1: One of the most profound statements that I have ever heard about trauma is that it is what you are having is a normal response to an abnormal situation, and that it is not you that is abnormal.
2: It is the situation that is abnormal. Absolutely. When we spoke with Dr. Sunil Badrani, the ER doctor in DC, we spoke about breaking the stigma. This is what Mary is talking about when she's trying to drive home the idea that it's okay to not be okay. Acknowledging that this is hard and maybe even that you need help further. It's okay to not be okay. This is not normal. Your response is normal. It is the state of the world that is abnormal, not you and not your struggle.
1: As we have done all season, we ended our interview with Mary by giving her the chance to add anything else she wanted our audience to know. In
0: crisis, and this is when you need people. You need to come together. Um, I mean, we are social creatures. I mean, it's just our neural network is designed to be connected. So it's just been a, a very odd experience, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It
1: does make sense. I think it's, we, we spoke earlier in this interview about how connection is what's going to get us through this. And we've spoken in other episodes about really trying to focus on how, yes, we need to distance physically, but we don't need to distance emotionally. And how do you, how do you figure out that line? Because otherwise then it, it's an even more abnormal situation. (laughs)
2: and and fear fear will i mean we think of the trauma brain but fear will sometimes elicit that trauma reaction and for right. some it might be freeze which might be apathy <laughs> yes. you know so like the, it's how can we reduce this this fear response so that people have their logic brain turned on and can think clearly to not go to extremes of extreme fear fight flight or freeze
0: right and i think there's just a chronic state of irritability and, you know, stress responses because we're buried under masks, right? And our eyes are not matching and helping the brain to kind of sort that implicit explicit. I mean, there's just, all of this is not melding the way it should be in a sense. So I think that plays a big role too. You know, I don't know. It's just, it's very unfortunate and sad.
1: (laughs) It really is. It is sad. And I think what is even sadder is then when we end up in these more divisive situations with each other than connective situations, because we don't need to add to the divisiveness in this crisis.
0: I do. I miss, I miss the nurses and I miss my routine. It was intense, but I miss the people. I miss the laughs. I mean, they, a lot of the staff knew that, you know, I have this tiny little dog that's 4.5 pounds. Everything in me said I should have taken him with me. I left the dog with my daughter and my granddaughter. And not even 24 hours later, the dog gets kicked off the bed and has a broken hip and needs emergency surgery. So here I am 600 miles away. I'm like, so the purpose of this is like we connected with, stories, right? Stories made us human, human, ma- humor made it the heavy, not so hard. Um, so there was a lot of times it, it wasn't uncommon for them to come down and share their death stories. And then just naturally we delve into how's Dexter's hip, you know, yeah. <laughs> it was its own way of mitigating some of the, it's just amazing. The conversation and the connection helped mitigate and bring you back to. It was its own way of regulating. And I think that was so awesome where you didn't go in with a set of rules of how I'm going to engage, just love people, be present, be real, be authentic. Just those are the things that keep it real, keep us human, keep us in a shared experience. And they just, they evolve naturally. There was no trying and, you know, how to put these tools in place. Just be you, just be human
2: that takeaway is is simple and beautiful all in the same way. And just that reminder of um, just be on the same level and and be um, connected and be present.
1: And one of our messages that we try to just say all the time is that it is okay to take moments where you're laughing and you're talking about something else. It doesn't invalidate the trauma. It doesn't make you somebody who's not caring about how big of a deal this is, it makes you human. And yeah,
2: I love it
0: regulates us,
2: <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> yeah. a very yeah. dire situation, but it's more of let's connect as humans right. and know that this is hard, yeah. but also that we still need a balance. Absolutely. We talked about this fight flight freeze response when we spoke to Joe Rojas, the prison guard and union vice president. Joe brought it up in regard to the state of prison staff and inmates as they face this pandemic without proper protection or protocols. And we have spoken before about how finding moments of humor is so important, not to invalidate the hard things, but to find moments of light in the darkness. We cannot stress that enough, especially as we move forward and try to find a new normal amid both the pandemic and the national and global fight for racial justice. We need
1: to make sure we have enough gas in our tanks to make it through the long haul of both of these vital battles. We need to find ways, as Isaac Kosmas, our colleague on the front lines of refugee settings so incredibly embodied, to have faith in a brighter future. Faith that these fights can teach us something vital, and that we will all be able to come together stronger in the end. And those moments of relief, of levity, of humor, can make it easier to keep that faith.
2: It is hard to fully express how much humor has helped us in the production of this podcast, how many times we've spent our Sunday night recording sessions doing something we've coined trauma laughing, because one of us would say something slightly funny, but we both were holding on to so much that we just completely lost control into our laughter. I mean, for minutes and
1: minutes and minutes, this would go on.
2: Don't <laughs> um. <laughs> make me start
0: now
1: <laughs> Um. But on top of all the points that Mary just helped us bring together from this entire season, we wanted to leave you with an activity that was actually born out of trying to find that kind of humor. Um, It has to do with helping our youngest kiddos process all of this and was inspired by an impromptu gem of a moment that happened at the end of Mary's interview. We somehow segued into some real talk about my children and what life has really been like as a parent through lockdown.
0: You have three little children? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I do.
1: And they're all locked in this house with us right now. So
0: How's <laughs> homeschooling working out for you?
1: <laughs> um, So week one of homeschooling started on Wednesday. And by Friday, we had a meeting with my son's teacher. And my wife literally said into the Zoom call, so so far, this has been a burning dumpster fire of shit <laughs> uh, to his teacher.
2: <laughs> you know. Her littlest one is like obsessed with a spice drawer and like I just keep seeing pictures of <laughs> spice everywhere. That's and what it's plays like-
0: a sensory thing, engage it. She just opens the bottles of spice and
2: dumps it all over the house.
1: Over and over and over again. You know
0: what they could say about that in play therapy, right? <laughs>
1: what would they say? What would they say? Tell me
0: <laughs> Is it a repetitive activity? <laughs> oh yeah. We can analyze that another time. Okay, good. <laughs> right, <laughs> I'm right, just kidding. No, it's just they're showing you what life feels like. Everything's just chaos and being yes. dumped. dumped. Yes. it's just they're overloaded. It's, How definitely, old are you? it's
1: bringing her comfort to dump these things out. she'll be free in two weeks,
0: yes, that's so normal. Let her dump, let her dump. yeah. I mean, I th- it's just go get the get spices from the dollar store, let her dump.
1: I mean, the first time she did it, it was everywhere. Did like you
0: take pictures, oh yeah, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: We call her the Spice Girl. Oh,
0: yeah. yeah. Yeah, send me pictures.
1: You can see just how chaotic my two-year-old thinks That's life awesome. is right now. I realize that I am lucky enough to be in a position where while this has not been easy, our missteps and fumbles along the way as parents have all been moments we can laugh about. If you have a toddler, we highly suggest taking Mary's advice and getting some dollar store spices or some sand and finding a place they can dump it that maybe, you know, maybe isn't your living room, um, but that can let them explore this physical and visceral release. I mean, looking back on it now, after talking to Mary, my little spice girl was absolutely regulating herself.
2: I mean, let's be honest, just dumping a bunch of shit out and just walking away from it sounds really (laughs) amazing right now. I think your little Spice Girl and body is everything we all need right now. Yeah. Uh, So Mary is right. We can't deny the fact that our kids are feeling some of this chaos too. All we can do is support them the best ways we know how, and sometimes that's just letting them dump. We also
1: shared that story to say that regardless of whether you're on the front line, my toddler needing to regulate by making massive messes. Massive. Just, yes, massive. There will be photos on the blog, I promise. Um, just brings home that we have all endured a lot over the course of these past five months. We are all tired, and we have probably all been fearful of something at some point.
2: Many people have lost their jobs, their homes, their livelihoods, and ultimately their lives. Many people's jobs have changed drastically. Teachers, food service, fitness industry, and we know we're leaving out so many because this list is endless. We have also been navigating the seismic shift within a ton of human connection, which as we have heard multiple times is imperative to healing. While the virtual online format has obviously been invaluable, it is not a replacement for human interaction and can also add to our overall fatigue. Zoomed out
1: for sure. We love Zoom, but we're Zoomed out.
2: <laughs> never
1: even heard that before.
2: <laughs> Why have I never heard that before? <laughs> I'm using it for everything now. Yeah,
1: I say it a lot
2: these days, actually. <laughs> it feels so right.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but really, with all of that, we just want to leave you with a message that we heard from Alex, from Morgan, from Laura, from Dr. Bedrani explicitly and from almost all of the rest of our interviewees in some way, and that is just be kind to yourself. Give yourself grace in this. Most of us have never walked this kind of path before, and there's no instruction booklet. Take the time, as Mary said, to find small moments for a break or a refresh, even when that feels impossible, and then
2: investigate
1: further if it doesn't feel like those moments are working.
2: Lastly, while physical safety is obviously a major concern in everything this country is facing right now, we want to remind you that so is emotional safety. Reach out, talk to friends, ask for help, seek professional help. As we've said from episode one, as Isaac and so many other interviewees have said, mental health cannot be secondary to physical health. This does not mean disregard the guidelines for physical safety right now but it means to seek safe ways of paying as much attention to your mental safety as you are to your physical.
1: Thank you for spending time with us. Thank you for listening and helping us share these essential stories.
2: Thank you for listening to Finding the Helpers presented by Plain to Live. Don't forget to reach out at info at with any ideas of what you want to hear, if you want to be a guest, or if you know someone who would. There will be a link to our blog in the description of every episode, where you can find more information about our speakers and the activities we suggested. Tune in every Tuesday for a new interview and make sure you subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, so you can get up-to-date alerts on what we are doing. And you can find out more about playing to live at www.playingtolive.org. And a special thank you to Josh Carter for our theme music. Until next time, stay safe out there.